I chose to have an affair, um, try to deal with it internally and, and keep it a secret and hide this, this kind of sh- part of me. But there was so much shame for me attached to um, what I did because, you know, I lived with this kind of shame and guilt internally for months and uh, my son was just born. And finally, I just couldn't, I just, I had this turning point in my life where I said, I'm willing to deal with the consequences of my actions because I know I can't keep living with this secret. And so I came home one night, shared with my wife that I had an affair. And um, at that point, life kind of just, it it blew up. She grabbed our son and left and was just, you know, she's like, I'm leaving. Lost my community, lost my job, lost my wife, my, you know, all, all within this, like, you know, one evening. listening to the on call empath show show Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the On Call Empath. I'm your host Raj Mantaj. Today I have a really interesting uh guest. Uh definitely you don't want to miss this episode. His name is Zach Mathers. He actually has his own uh podcast, uh Braving the Journey podcast and uh he basically helps people realize that they're not alone in their struggles, and he helps them find hope. And uh, he's going to tell his story today that you do not want to miss. He's 15 years uh, recovering alcoholic, um, and uh, you won't believe his story. It's you definitely want to stick around for this. So, Zach, how you doing today? Good, man. Yeah, Raj, thank you. I do. I just want to say I appreciate everything that you're doing with you, with your podcast and. Um, just, just having me on. I'm just honored to be here. Absolutely. And once I heard your story, I was just like, you know, the world needs to hear it. We need more people like healers out there. And, and that's what this uh, podcast stands for. And all the empaths and highly sensitive people out there, you know, they're going through a tough time with this pandemic and everything. So, um, so yeah, I I think that your story is really going to resonate with everybody. Um, so you're in Hawaii right now. I, I'm kind of jealous that <laughs> you can go hiking and go in the waterfalls and surfing and all that in Maui, huh? Yeah, you know, <laughs> it's uh, it's not a bad place to have to live in the midst <laughs> of a pandemic going on. You know, um, we have as far as an island goes, I mean, we've seen a pretty big hit because they shut it down to tourists for mm-hmm. a long time. And so, I mean, um, you definitely notice, you know, locally wise people people are feeling it a lot of you know i think we were rated number three as far as um unemployment rate in the in the u.s at one point and so wow uh but we still live in a beautiful place where oh my we, gosh you know it's so my kids it. have my <laughs> kids have no idea how good they have it they don't they i mean like we'll be like we're going to the beach today and they're like i don't want to go to the beach dad and i'm like ah yeah right so. Just try living in the Midwest. The winter's uh, right around the corner, and I'm not looking forward to it. I know. I told them I'm going to send them all to Nebraska or something. That's where I was. Ori- <laughs> that's where I was originally born, and so I'm like, I'm going to send them to Nebraska for for like you know a season just to you know help them appreciate it here. Absolutely. So uh, I want you to kind of explain to our listeners like your story, and um, you know how you got into coaching and the shame portion of it, uh, if you don't mind. No, absolutely. You know, and. Um, shame has become such an important part in in my life um so 
you know, I, as you said earlier, I, I've been married now 15 years, but um, year three of my marriage, I got married really young. I was 21 when I got married. Um, year three was the year my son was born. Um, during that time, and at that time, I was a senior pastor of a small church. And um, I was really young. I mean, I look at I look at that. I go, what was I, twenty three, twenty four, and like leading a, a you know a church congregation, and I was there was a lot that I had to learn. And but I was young, and I was enjoying what I was doing. My marriage wasn't necessarily it wasn't there wasn't anything wrong with it. It was it was a good marriage. All these things, and for me, what happened was uh, I I chose to have an affair, and um, as soon as that happened, I began to um, try to deal with it internally and, and keep it a secret and hide this this kind of sh- part of me. But there was so much shame for me attached to um, what I did because for me, it was one of those things um, in my life that I go, I would never be the guy that would do this, and then I did, and then I did it. And so then all of a sudden, you know, for me, it was a shift of like, am I even true to anything about what I say about myself? And so, um, long story short, I, you know, I lived with this kind of shame and guilt internally for months and, um, my son was just born and finally I just couldn't, I just, I had this turning point in my life where I said, I'm willing to deal with the consequences of my actions because I know I can't keep living with this secret. And so I came home one night, shared with my wife that I had an affair. And um, at that point, life kind of just, it, it blew up in, you know, as far as she grabbed our son and left and was just, you know, she's like, I'm leaving. Um, I called the elders of the church and said, Hey, this is what happened. Um, and so, you know, at that point I lost my, lost my community, lost my job, lost my wife, my, you know, all, all within this, like, you know, one evening. That must've been just, I, I mean, that's just very traumatic. Um, now being a pastor, um, did it make things harder? Like, was it like, Oh my gosh, like, you know, this is a major sin and I feel like, did it make you feel more guilty or, um, was there anybody that could have came to your support in the church or were you just all alone and isolated? You know, I, there was a, there was a mix between both of those. I want to say, um, yes, I think the guilt felt a little bit heavier because, you know, if you're looking at, Bible wise or scripture wise, you know, they say all sins equal, but then, but then believers just have a tendency to still want to, um, say, let, let's put a, let's put like a scale level on what sins worse than which one, you know, and, and the affair to be, would be the one that kind of people look at and go, that's, that's the worst, that's the worst thing you can do. Um, and the hard part was we lived in a small town. I lived in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho at the time. Um, small town. I mean, it was probably like oh, six months prior, they ran a big newspaper article about the church. And there was a picture of me as this young lead pastor. And, you know, so the community knew my, my, my business. And so when this came out, they also knew this business. And so that was a really hard place to live in. Um, but when you asked if I felt isolated and alone, in, for the most part, yes. 
Um, but I did, I had, uh, I had a couple people. There was one of the, one of the guys that was on the board of the church. And when I called and said, this is what happened. Um, he came to my house, my wife had left and my wife actually was like, I'm going to go to your parents' house. Cause she knew that was just kind of a safe place to go. So I had to call my parents in the middle of this, like right after be like, Hey mom, this is what happened. This is what I did. My wife's on the way there. We'll talk about it later, but just be there for her. Um, and, but then I had, a a friend, still a lifelong friend of mine now, um, he came over that night. And I remember we, he literally crawled up into my bed with me and just held me. And we just wept all night. We didn't do anything else but cry. You know, he didn't try to solve anything. He didn't try to talk about anything. He just, he was just a presence in the room. Um, and that made it, I mean, for me, that was a, that was a huge impactful moment of someone just to say, I'm still here. Yeah. And, one thing I want to point out to the listeners out there, especially the HSPs and the empaths, um, whether you're, I mean, I mean, a lot of men, they think, you know, they don't need to show their emotions and crying is, you know, it's not supposed, you're not supposed to cry or show any emotions, but, you know, definitely when, when it comes down to it, mental health, you know, having someone by your side, whether it's, you know, male, female, gender, just having that person listening to you. And just, you know, being there for you does help. I mean, as you can tell from Zach's story, um, I mean, I, I would imagine that that kind of consoled you a little bit. It didn't solve your problem, but um, that's what you call a true friend, I would I would imagine. Yeah, it was somebody that, you know, didn't look at my actions and go, you know, you're nothing to me. You know what it was that they, they chose to see that and go, man, I don't like what you did, but it doesn't change who I see you as. We have a tendency to want to look at people and go, you are defined by these things that you did, not who you are inside. And, you know, if I were to jump f- forward in my story, you know, I, I had these, I had people in my life and I think I honestly could say I probably am where I am today because of people in my life. Um, this was something for, for a long time, I tried to actually walk through my shame by myself and it came to a spot where I realized I couldn't, there was only so far I could move through my shame and the trauma. And the interesting part is I think when we think of trauma, we always think of some trauma as something that somebody did to us that caused the trauma. Um, But I I believe there's also trauma that is like self-induced trauma. Like I, I chose, like it was my choice to have the affair. It still doesn't negate the fact that it's a traumatic experience that I have to walk through, you know, because of my actions and choices, but I still, I, I caused it, but I still have the implications and the, and the, the aftermath that I have to deal with, with it. I, you know, yeah, I mean, I pre, you know, it's, it takes a lot to come forward, especially when you're on a podcast and, you know, you're, you're talking about this openly, but there's a lot of people out there um, that I know personally that they would just deny it or they would be in denial, or they would tell their wives or their girlfriends, you know, it never happened. But that in itself, I feel, and, you know, you can let me know what you think, but if you lied about it or you didn't come clean, would that, like, come back to hurt you even harder in the long run, you think? Well, I mean, truth is, I lived with it for for months. You know, in my head, I was going, "How how can I hide this? How can I keep this a secret? How can I cover this up?" Those thoughts were constantly running through my head. But for me, what the big shift 
point was, was going, I don't think I'll ever get to be my, who I am again. And like the true, like inside of me, my identity, my, my beliefs, myself, like all that deep stuff that I know is rooted going, this is me. I felt like if I were to try to hide and live with this, this secret, the shame would, the shame would just have eaten me up to the point where I think I would have just been a, just kind of a shell of a person existing in life. And so, um, so yeah, so it was, you know, and my wife is a very strong woman and like, so like she wasn't with somebody that when I, when I knew I was going to tell her what happened, I was convinced to the core of who I was that our marriage was, was over and she was never going to forgive me. I was, it was one of those things that she wasn't one of these kind of soft wives. That's like, Oh, it's okay, babe. You know, it was, you know, it was one of those conversations we've had in our marriage in the beginning was like that, that is just, that is something that that is the deal breaker of all deal breakers. Um, so, so I wanted to ask you on that, like, cause I, again, like, you know, the, the, what you're talking about is a little bit more common than people think. But when that, when something like that happens, when people, you know, have infidelity and, you know, um, at that point, usually like they just have a divorce and that's it. And, you know, you cheat once, you're always a cheater. That's the mentality that, that some people think. But in your case, this was different. She stood by you, correct? And she, well, you guys try to work it out? Yeah, we did. Um, we, so we were, I mean, we got, we separated, um, and we were separated for a good chunk of time. And during that separation, I personally started seeing a counselor for myself. You know, I started kind of looking and going, what is going on inside of me? Why, why did I head towards this, you know, destructive actions and started kind of looking at some patterns and different things. And our progression was slow. And I mean, to some, it was fast and to some, it was slow to me in the middle of that moment. It felt slow, but we, she finally agreed to say, um, I'm willing to, you know, come see a counselor with you. I mean, it was a, it was a, it was this progression of where she wouldn't see me at, I mean, like she would call or text me and say, I'm dropping our son off at your sister's house you can come see him now and I need you gone so then I can pick him up because she didn't even want to cross my path. She didn't want to see me. And then, it, and then it progressed. I remember this one time it progressed to where she's like, I'll meet you at the Safeway parking lot um, and you can, get, you, you can get our son for a while. And like, I celebrated that. I remember telling my, my couple of my friends being like, I get to meet her at the parking lot. Like, I was so excited because to me, that was a little step forward in, in like, She'll see my face. And so we progressed. But, you know, at one point she said, I'm willing to come to um, counseling with you. And so we began to go to marriage counseling. Um, and, you know, it progressed where she let, said, hey, why don't you move back into the house into um, a separate room for now, just so we could be here for our son. And and then it progressed to, you know, where we found ourselves really, I would honestly say now that. I have I have an amazing amazing marriage that we have put a lot a lot of work into um and but I wouldn't trade it for the world. Right. I mean, that's amazing um especially having somebody you know give you a second chance and I know that trust probably wasn't overnight and you'd have you'd had to work for it and you'd have to earn that trust again and um it takes a special woman to actually let you back in and 
you know, I don't know. Like I, I know some people where this just, once it's done, it's done, you know, they go their separate ways, but, um, but so I wanted to switch gears here a little bit. I know that you, you did talk about therapy, but, uh, and marriage counseling. Um, I don't know, um, if you went through a 12 step program for the alcohol, um, recovery, but what, what would you say that kind of helped you the most and, you know, to kind of get you back on track? Cause there's so many modalities. There's, you know, there's therapy, counseling, um, you know, church, you know, 12 step. So what was probably the most helpful for you to kind of get your life back on track? Do you think, or do you think that they're all like helpful? Well, yeah. So what I, I, I mean, I have come to believe that what, what may, what worked for me may not work for somebody else. Meaning, um, we have a tendency to jump on the bandwagon of, of whether that's therapy or the 12 steps or AA or whatever it is. And we kind of camp out there and say, this is the only way. And the truth is that this, that may have been the only way for that person because it worked for them. Um, so for me, my, my, my recovery through alcohol, so alcohol came along in the midst of the affair for me because what happened was I began to try to cope with the shame that I felt by just drinking it away. And this drinking it helped, helped numb, the, numb the pain for a little bit. But once I started kind of working on my marriage, things are kind of moving back in this progression. All of a sudden, I couldn't just not stop drinking. And so... I would begin to drink in isolation and, and I was a closet alcoholic. So I would, you know, camp out in my car and drink a six pack on the way home before coming home and walking through the doors. And then that turned into, you know, a 12 pack and, um, it, it, it was a progression. Um, but for me, so I, I did, I started, I, before I realized I had an issue with alcohol, I had other people around me say, you have an issue. And so I began to go to Alcoholics Anonymous or AA. Um, meetings more for them than for myself. Um, and so I would just sit in the back of the rooms, go for, you know, the, the meeting, walk in, walk out. And, uh, and I stayed sober, but I was never actually committed to the program in by any means. I wasn't doing the steps. I wasn't, I was just showing up to make those around me happy. I tried a lot of things, you know, um, at this point in the game, I did an outpatient program where I went, you know, to three days a week to the morning class outpatient. There was, and then in the midst of that, I was going to AA meetings. Um, and that worked for me while I was in the program, meaning that like I, I, I stayed sober throughout the program. It was great, but my track record is kind of always this, you know, I would, I would go three months without drinking and then I would have a one, one night relapse. I'd have all this guilt and shame about it the next day. And then I would pick myself up and I'd have another couple months. And, and that was my pattern. That was a pattern over and over. With that said, you mentioned relapse. And so I wanted to ask you, um, you know, once you started going to the AA and, you know, you, you stopped for a little bit, um, for anybody that's listening out there, can you kind of um, give some, I guess, uh, some advice like, you know, if someone's an addict and it doesn't have to be alcohol, it could be anything, but, um, what would you say to somebody that's an addict that might be, um, trying to stop, you know, their addiction and they've tried and they've relapsed and they've tried and they just can't get it right. I know everyone's different. Everyone responds differently, but if you could just kind of shed your, um, 
some of your experiences, what, what you can kind of, uh, let them know what worked for you. Yeah, I think, I think a key piece to it is, is just don't give up. And what I mean by that is if you, if you tried an outpatient program and it, um, it worked or it didn't work and you relapse, don't, don't say nothing's going to work. Just go, well, what else is there? Okay. Maybe, maybe I need to dig into therapy. Okay. I'm going to do that. And maybe I need to go to this more AA meetings more, whatever it is. You know, I think, I think we have a tendency as humans to think I failed. I can't get this. And I tried. And so now I'm, now I'm going to just kind of say, you know, I'm just an addict. I'm always going to be an addict. and I'm never going to be able to shift. Versus going, what else can I try? What else can I try? What else can I try? Um, I, I mean, me personally, I even, um, I went on a, medica- a medication for a stent of time that basically helped reduce the craving of alcohol. And that was a hard thing for me to do because it, it took me having to kind of rip some pride out of me going, oh, wait, I can't even do this without the help of medication. Um, but once I got to that place, I realized, and this does really help, and it helped clear some time out for me. Uh, when I began to see the, the, when I began to look and be able to go, look at the gaps, like, look at, man, there was three months of sobriety there, and that was amazing. And then, yeah, I screwed up that one day. I screwed up, and I could, I could sit down with somebody and go, okay, what were the triggers? What caused it? What, what was going on? Where, where did I kind of start slipping? And I, I would answer those questions, and then I would say, okay, try it. Let's try again. Oh, four months right on. That's more than last time, you know, and, and be, be okay with life being a progression. You know, for some reason, Alcoholics Anonymous or, or addicts have this mentality that you got to get it perfect the first time. And it's pretty rare when any person, person gets something perfect the first time in life, you know? And so I, yeah, my, my suggestion is be willing to try anything have a lot of grace for yourself and celebrate the small victories, you know? Yeah. And, and I think that's just, that's amazing that you, you're saying that, and this is for the listeners out there, you know, this is not going to happen overnight and it's a progress and it's a journey. Um, and, you know, celebrate each win, even if it's small micro wins, as you can tell from Zach, you know, if it wasn't just the shame, he had the alcohol, um, you know, that he had to deal with. And then, you know, just going through all of these emotions. Um, I know a lot of people like, you know, friends of my own um, that go through it, but they don't, they don't come out and they don't really, you know, want to talk about it. They think they're too macho or maybe they're too like, I guess, embarrassed because, you know, they don't want to show their feelings or, you know, open up. But I mean, it seems like, you know, you you're able to talk about it. So I, I commend you for, you know, uh, being able to be so upfront with everyone and hopefully, you know, all the people could take some value out of this, uh, you know, out of your experience. So just changing gears here a little bit. I mean, after everything you learned, um, it looks like now you're dedicating your life to, uh, helping those uh, find their own identity. So I wanted to ask you like, um, as far as, you know, um, helping people find their identity, how do you incorporate that in your coaching and what are some of the things that you do because you've been through it yourself? So I think that's that's a huge, you know, experience right there so you can help other people. But what is, walk me through like the process that you 
use with your own clients and um, how you would go about it for somebody that might be an alcoholic or been through infidelity or something like that? I believe is the starting point for anyone though, is being able to begin to be vulnerable, not even with other people, but vulnerable with yourself. Because I think what it is, vulnerability with ourself requires that we go, okay, I've put up these walls around me because it helps protect me from any pain or or feelings of and so you got to learn to be able to take that down just around just to be able to be honest with yourself and go and and be really real who you are with with yourself and then the idea is hopefully you're able to do that with someone like a coach or a therapist that you can start really talking through some of this stuff with and and that usually once once you kind of can begin to get vulnerable then you can begin to look at going what is the shame that you're holding on to and then i believe every piece of shame has a a lie that is attached to it that we choose to believe you know for for me my shame was that i had an affair so my 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 belief to my lie was that i am a failure not that i just failed but i'm a failure as a, a husband i'm a failure as uh, a father and I'm a failure as, you know, a uh, Christian. I, all these things, I've, I'm a failure in all this and I'll never be any better. That was the lie I believed. And so I had to learn how to rework how I communicated that lie to myself and, and change the narrative, basically. Um, and so that's kind of why I feel like with every single person, for anyone to be able to move into going, you know, because I, I have a belief that we are all uniquely made you know, that, that you are because of who you are, your life experiences, that every situation that has built you to, to where you are today qualifies you to be, have a unique identity that is just you. And we all have that. Um, but the tendency is what we do is we try to, we push that down and hide that identity out of fear, shame, anxiety, whatever it is, and, uh, or acceptance, all these different pieces. Um, so for me, it's like, let's, figure out how to kind of rip away at some of that. So that way we can actually go, who are you? What, what brings passion and life? And you know, what, is, what is wrapped up inside of you that, that is deep in your core, your identity. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for sharing that. And I just want to let everybody know, like the moment I spoke to Zach, I just like, there was a connection right there. And if he, if you, if I lived in Hawaii, I would probably be hanging out with you. You seem like a down to earth guy, uh, but unfortunately I don't. And I live in a colder climate, but if I ever go on vacation or I visit, I'll definitely look you up there. Oh, I, ex- I expect you to look me up if you come to Hawaii. If, if I, if I find out that you come to Maui without, without looking me up, you know, I'll be sad. So I got to no, take you on it. We'll do an I'll adventure t- when you're here. I definitely will. And uh, thanks again for being on this show. Yeah. So, no, I want to say thank you. I, I think what you're doing is amazing. And, uh, you know, people can find me at just bravingthejourney.com. That's the website you can go to to kind of get more information. Instagram, same thing. It's just braving, uh, you know, at bravingthejourney. Um, and that's kind of where you can connect to me, reach out. And I do. My, my biggest thing I always tell people, I'm like, if you feel like you're walking through life alone, um, and you're struggling in an addiction or she got shame attached to something like, I'm happy to sit down and just talk to you. So just reach out because the worst place to be is in your own head all alone trying to deal with it. So, 
In final thoughts, I just wanted to leave this last bit of information for anybody that might be listening, going through something similar as my guest, Zach. Just know that if, you know, we're all human, nobody's perfect in this world. If something that you've done in the past has made you feel, you know, guilty or shameful, just know that we are not our past. You can always change your story and the narrative. Always look forward. With that said, I hope you got something out of this episode. Let me know how I'm doing on the Apple iTunes store. Any reviews definitely helps me out a ton. Also, if you have a story you'd like to share with me, go directly to my fan page of the Facebook On Call Empath or the Instagram, the On Call Empath. Thank you so much for tuning in when we are out. You're listening to the On Call Empath.